Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice, calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, uh, everyone, to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Kyle Petrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly, and today we will be talking with Rhonda Grunwald, the founder of Vocation Ministry. Now, Rhonda is often referred to as the vocation lady. And uh, she's a passionate convert to Catholicism, as am I, and also a former high school English teacher. Through her organization, Vocation Ministry, Rhonda has worked with more than 6,000 vocation promoters and ministries nationwide, presenting informational workshops to deacons, to priests, religious, and laity on how to establish or revive a vocation ministry. And in the early days, as her ministry to parishes began to grow, she decided that she would write a pamphlet. But that pamphlet actually turned into a book called Hundredfold, A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry. And more recently, with a teacher's heart and, of course, a conviction that Catholic schools can play a major part in fostering vocations, she released a second book called The Harvest, A Guide to Vocation Ministry and Education. And when she's not busy working, you can find her exercising, reading, listening to podcasts like Follow to Lead, or living out her vocation as a wife and a mother with her husband, David, and her two children, Abby and Gabe. So Rhonda, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Rhonda, we're so glad you could be with us today. And as we begin our time together, we'd love to learn a little bit more about your own background, particularly uh, you and your family, and you're now residing in the Houston area of, of Texas. Uh, is that where you're from originally? Yeah, I, I grew up here with a small middle-class family, and um, but faith was not emphasized whatsoever. Actually, my father didn't want the Bible run the house, and mm-hmm. my mom was Methodist. We had you know no connection to Jesus or God, um, and they divorced when I was 12, and then mm-hmm. it was after when I was already teaching uh, English and coaching speech and debate at, at a large public high school here in Houston that I had a yearning to go to church. <laughs> and so I was baptized into the Methodist church at 25. Wow. Good news there is I got rid of, rid of a lot of sin because college happened and, <laughs> you know, or life. And so that's good. Um, and then the next year I met David, my husband now of 24 years, who was just Catholic enough to say, I can't get married over there. <laughs> and, um, and so then I went through RCIA after we were, so we were married in the Catholic church, uh, find our parish home, 
Now I'm going through RCIA while teaching and pregnant with our daughter. And instead of coming into the church at the Easter vigil, I gave birth that night. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there'll be bonus points later, I'm sure. (laughs) But anyway, and then, you know, this was never even on my radar to do anything. And so to be considered the vocation lady is just, is just so unreal. I mean, it's to just prove that God can work through anybody's yes. Because coming into the church in 1999, then in 2011, which was when we had a brand new priest at our parish that said, Rhonda, can you come to a meeting about priests and such of a church in three hours? I was like, well, okay. Very vague, you know, <laughs> like, and then he was talking about resurrecting, resurrecting a parish vocation committee. And I was like, vocation, are we talking about jobs? Like, uh, you know, a convert, not, that's sad. 12 years a convert not hearing enough about vocations that I even knew what it meant. Anyway, so I go home and Google, what is it? <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking that the internet is going to show me something and how to do this. Like if the church is so old, I'm new to it, but the church is old. Why wouldn't there be something if I say parish vocation committee that goes Broom! There you go. This is what you're supposed to do. (laughs) But no, but Father Victor was convicted. This is one of the most important things we could do in our parish. So I was hooked. We just started going. We were, we just did all kinds of things in our parish, uh, praying in all different ways, playing pin the miter on the bishop at the parish festival, um, all all kinds of things. And then about uh, three years into that, then the archdiocese said, how can we do that all over Houston? Which is how we ended up with hundredfold and vocationministry.com. And I thought at this point, I'm done. I wrote the book. I'm good. Like, God, I did what you asked. I'm good. And then I go to this conference with these vocation directors from around the country. Every diocese has a priest who's a vocation director. And I go to tell them about hundredfold and they start asking me to speak to their priests and parishioners. And I was like, excuse me. Um, I don't think that converts can speak to priests. I think there's a rule against that. And they're like, no, you're the one you need to do this. And I was like, okay. So I just keep saying, yes, we just gave our over 100th workshop now um, to your 48th diocese in five and a half years. And it was during this time of giving these workshops that people would come up to me and say, what do you have for teachers? What do you have for catechists, schools? We need help. And I was like, Okay, well, maybe you could adapt what's in hundredfold, but that wasn't the right answer. I was a teacher prior to get, being a mom. I, I, I knew what they needed, but I was like just busy doing all the work of what I had in front of me. So then God provided me the time. When we shut down for COVID mm-hmm. and we hadn't gone quite virtual mm-hmm. yet with our workshops, right. my prayer was for the Holy Spirit. I wanted this time to be productive. I wanted to come out of it, no matter the time and length to say, I did something because I knew God was still calling and I was going to have somebody to answer to that. I wasn't doing anything. So that was my prayer just to what was I supposed to do? And I started interviewing teachers, uh, homeschool families, campus ministers, all, all the people, what are you doing for vocations? What could be done for vocations in your classroom? How could you, how could you promote priesthood, religious life, and sacramental marriage in a bigger, better way in your school, classroom, whatever? And then I started doing something. I don't recommend anybody doing this. 
I started wrestling with the Holy Spirit. Now, <laughs> if you don't know, you're going to lose this, this spiritual battle <laughs> because the right. Holy Spirit is much bigger, right? And has your only ultimate good in mind. And I knew that, but I so didn't want to write another book. And I knew that's what was being asked of me. Um, so I finally surrendered which is good and started writing October of 2020 and August one, the harvest, a guide to vocation ministry and education, which I call my COVID baby that I don't have to burp or change diapers for. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause it took about nine months to get here. And, um, and, and, and now we have workshops for teachers, workshop for catechists. And, you know, so God was really using that time, that downtime when I wasn't traveling to really, get our focus, not only on parishes, but also the educational setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I want to rewind just a little bit, Rhonda, go back to your coming into the church because I mean, you were a nominal Methodist. You're right. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot of, nothing was really, you know, attaching to you spiritually. You come into the Catholic church, you go through RCIA and did something ignite inside of you concerning your faith? Because I mean, you've come a long way. What what happened when you came into RCIA to really ignite you in your faith? Well, unlike popularity would be believe it wasn't RCIA at all. It did it. So RCIA was just a, I've got to check this off my list to and do what I'm supposed to do to be Catholic because I knew right. first of all when I said yes to my husband and found out that to be married in the Catholic Church that meant I, that we were going to have to raise our children Catholic. I said, I'm not going to do what happened to me as a child and have mom as a Methodist wanting to talk about, you know, Christ, but dad, like, no, no, no. And the battle that ensued and all the things. So we needed to be on the same page. So right. I check off the list, get married in the church, check off the list, RCIA. It wasn't really until about year two, three of our marriage that we were going in a stewardship fair or ministry fair at, at, at our parish. And there was a, a, a group called Living Matrimony, and it was focused on just helping couples be good Catholic couples. And uh, we decided to go. It was run by couples. And when they were up there talking, the women were like glowing. They were, uh, I, there's no other way I can say it. Just, they were radiating something so beautiful. So I, I'm like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't even know these people. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're just, you're glowing. And they were, they told me that they were, they had all gone through familia, which was not, while that is Spanish for family, that's not what this meant. This was a Regnum Christi um, group where the group of women of 15 women get together and they, they walk together for a four-year program reading the encyclicals of St. Pope John Paul II on being a Catholic mom. What is it? What, how, what is your relationship with Mary? We had a whole year on Mary, which this convert needed. Like I needed all that foundational and formational, you know, work being done in me because I had nothing. It was going zero to 100. I'm sitting there going, why do you know that there is a saint for that? And how do you know their feast day? And what are you doing? Like I was so, I had no clue about anything 
Catholic related. So to go, I felt like it was going from zero to a hundred very quickly, father. And, and so by the time 2011 came around year 12, I was now an, an EMHC, Extraordinary Minister of Holy Communion. I was a lector. I had really like dug in deep, um, but I still didn't know about vocations necessarily. Wow. Uh, so I had a lot to learn with that. Rhonda, we're going to dive in a little bit into the harvest in a bit. Before we get there, I want to just set the stage a little bit. And, and you've now been involved in vocation ministry for about a decade and there's been some wonderful miracle stories in parishes and dioceses we, we want you to touch on. But, but to begin, you know, in, in your opinion, based on your experience, why do you see such a dearth in religious vocation in our church? Well, that could be about a month-long conversation. Um, it, it, it is multifaceted um, between the breakdown of the family. I think most in the church uh, just said, hey, we're leaving this up to the Holy Spirit. He provided all those years that we had a vocation boom and there was just no focus on it. There was no like, we should actually promote this, you know, just because vocations were coming for a very long time. And then when they stopped coming, I don't, I don't, I just think that the thought was, Oh, we're just in a down slump. It'll come back. It'll come back. They'll come back. There'll be more. And, and um, it's like, why do we now have to promote marriage? Right. Oh, we do. <clears throat> we do. We absolutely do. And we didn't used to have to do that. That's but right. now our young people, they're, they're like marriage in a marriage, really marriage, yep. a marriage in a church. What? Like I want a destination right. wedding. I want the, you know what? It's, it's shocking how much society has changed. And I feel like I'm, I always wonder, I'm like, why me, Lord? Why a convert? Did it take a convert to talk to priests about why they should be talking about vocations? Because I think the vast majority of priests stopped talking about vocations, especially after the scandal. Like yeah. they just retreated. They were in retreat mode of going, yeah. I'm fearful to even talk to a young person. And that's the devil winning if I've ever heard it, because we shouldn't be operating out of fear. First of all, I get where they're coming from and I totally empathize, but we need boldness and courageous priests right now talking about vocations more um, because we don't have the sisters in the classroom. There's another one, the sisters in the classroom who on a regular basis, just having that witness in front of them year after year would produce fruit. So now we have to come to the place where we need to train our laity on how to, if they can't, they, they're not going to be in a habit. So we've got to reproduce some of this to get a, an atmosphere so that our schools can be an incubator for our future holy priests, sisters, and married couples. We have four Dominican sisters in our classrooms, and what a difference it makes in vocation. They have an, uh, a retreat every year in Ann Arbor, and uh, I remember pre-COVID, uh, the sisters said, okay, are there any girls that want to go with us up to Ann Arbor? And we had 15 girls hmm. that went up there, and they said the talk on the way back to the school, we live in Kansas City. The talk all the way back, they didn't stop talking. They pumped these sisters 
for all kinds of things. They were really intrigued with looking at religious life. And I thought that that you were so right, the incarnational reality of seeing uh, the sisters, seeing our, our diocesan priests in the school. You know, they had a priest as a president and, of course, another chaplain there. It, it You know, living out the vocation in front of them is just such a marvelous gift. Yes, and I, I do talk about the fact that it really we need a priest as a chaplain in every Catholic school, and that is not a reality in, in many of them. Um, so that's just like step number one. Like, right. hello, step number one, get a priest in there. <laughs> you know, we need a, a major presence here and at least guiding what is happening because many of our Catholic schools have, not only have they lost their Catholic identity, I feel like they're um, so heavily academic that they're just not even talking about the saints and they're not, they're not cultivating future saints in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so we need we need that to happen. So I totally yeah. agree. Father Randy, that made me think the president of my Catholic high school alma mater was uh, a priest and happened also to be the exorcist for the archdiocese. And he would regale the guys, you know, the 16, 17 year, 18 year old guys at lunchtime about some of his true experiences uh, uh, dealing with exorcisms. You want to talk about sowing some seeds for vocations. <laughs> oh, my you know, word. Getting yeah. some of those teenage boys excited about the power over the devil and, and, and the spirit. But to your point, it's incarnational witness. And, and our schools now have to think outside the box. And, and Rhonda's going to share a little bit about this in her work about what that looks like now. Yeah. So um, uh, the harvest has in it and at vocationministry.com. So I don't want to forget about that. There are so many resources there. There's a parish tab and an education tab. They go there. They're going to find so many incredible resources to put into place right now, like next week. They could be doing this next week. But the harvest, so it has 75 activities in it. And the activities are uh, in categories of prayer, awareness and education, and affirmation. Um, so we need prayer. Absolutely. Number one, we've got to do it. And are we doing that on a regular basis? I know some Catholic schools that they go to mass maybe six times a year. That's, that's it. That's as far as it goes. As far, I mean, they may pray. There's somebody going to lead a prayer in the morning. They have mass six times a year and they're calling it that's Catholic. And I'm like, okay, so, so a lot of vocation work, I want to say this, a lot of vocation work and a lot of things that I promote are strengthening the Catholic identity. Because if you have a strong Catholic identity, you're probably producing fruit. Yep. So let's just put that out there right away. I mean, so if you're already a school with great Catholic identity, um, or if your religious ed program is super strong, this is just like putting, you know, gas on the fire. Right. If you're not, if you find feel that there's not much there, this is going to strengthen your Catholic identity, which is then going to produce fruit. I mean, I've got plenty of things that are just solely vocation promoting, but there's a lot that's just let's go here. Let's get adoration going in our schools. Let's get our right. kids in front of the Blessed Sacrament and praying for vocations in general, because they don't even know they should be doing that and for their own vocation and talking about marriage because they don't know marriage is a vocation either. They hear about it one time during the year when they talk about sacraments, maybe, and that's it. So, so we've got a prayer. We've got a, all kinds of different, like they should be praying each day 
Um, and the diocesan, maybe prayer for vocations for kids. I've seen that in different dioceses. They have that. That would be beautiful. And then, and then adding in, you know, prayers of the faithful during mass, all, all of those things. And then um, awareness and education. It is really about creating that atmosphere around the kids visually. What are they studying? All, all the things so that they're in immersed in it if you will, like it's organic. Look, talking, bringing in a sister once a year. Now, okay, that's good. That's good. Bringing in a sister once a year. That's good. But if that's all, it's not organic. It's not a, what they're living in so that they're, it's so normal. This is what I want to happen. This is the goal, people. I want the five-year-old who thinks they may want to be a sister because that does happen. 75% of the newly ordained first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age. Again, that's year after year that study has come out. 75% of the newly ordained say they first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age. It's almost the same for sisters. You just don't have all the data. I talked to enough of them to know. They hear it early on. So if a five-year-old Sally says, I want to be a sister, I want them to be affirmed, nurtured, hear about it enough so that when they're in high school, that their Catholic high school has a discernment group, which every Catholic high school should have a discernment group for their girls, one for boys, one for girls. She's ready to join that if God is still calling her at that point. And it's normal and natural. This is, this is the goal. Right. So so taking that into what I'm saying for awareness and education in your classroom is going to look different for a kindergartner than it will in high school. But if I'm saying I want one is bring your saints in. So every every student should be picking a saint for the year. It's going to that is going to be their saint for the year. They're going to be asking for their intercession. So that matches a lot of things. Prayer. Well, that's also the saint when you have a book report. That's your saint. That's who you're going to do. Or if you have some group project, then you take your three or four saints that your kids represent and look at their similarities and da, 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 all the things. Or as a, as a little, a little one, you may be coloring about your saint. There's just so much to be done. I'm just saying that we need to think outside the box, be creative. I haven't thought of every idea ever. I'm just hopeful that the things that I have come up with will spark people to think, we should be doing this. Yes. And maybe it looks different in my classroom than Rhonda's saying, but I should be doing this. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about the harvest. It's not a textbook. It's a guidebook. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these ideas that can be incorporated, but you're not giving them something that is a cookie cutter that they, they just insert into the curriculum, correct? Sure. I mean, I have some of that, some pieces like that, for example, most don't know that there are quite a few vocation curricula out there that are free. And all those you can find at vocationministry.com. And I have them listed in the book as well, that they can go and they're done by different groups. And so you, what I love about that is that you know, maybe during National Vocation Awareness Week, which is the first full week of November each year, that you put into place one of those curricula, that you do something each day from one of the curricula. Well, then you pick maybe another week and you do something from another curricula. And one, for example, is the Carmelite Sisters of the Most Sacred Heart of Los Angeles created. 
And it's beautiful and amazing. And again, putting sisters in front of these kids, not in person, but in video. And uh, if you don't have access to sisters, goodness gracious, we need to be creative. I don't know if you know, but there's this community of sisters. They're the Sisters of St. Francis of the Perpetual Adoration. And they are amazing. And they, they record themselves, different sisters reading various age books to kids. And wow. so, so as a, a kindergarten teacher, you can have a sister reading Click Clack Moo or it's second grade, or you can have a, a, the sister reading to your kids about St. Saint, uh, Patrick. There are like 30 books. They read all different kinds of books. So be creative. It's a great idea. Rhonda, Harvest just recently has come out. Prior to that, you were doing a lot of work and focus in, in dioceses and parishes in particular, right? About vocation work and, and share some of the fruits and miracle stories that you shared with me when we first got acquainted of, of some of the wonderful work that you've been doing for parishes. Yeah. So, um, you know, you never know when you do anything. I didn't think anybody would, I didn't know if anybody would read Hundredfold. Because I didn't realize when I wrote it, like I knew it was a deficit in my world, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize until now it's being used in every diocese in the United States and abroad, other places too, and internationally, but um, that it was, this is a deficit in the church. What? I was shocked by that. I had no idea. Well, same when I started giving these workshops, I knew I wish in 2011 there would have been some workshop telling me what to do if I could have been trained and fully equipped to go out and do what I needed. Wow. That would have been a game changer. I had so many obstacles in my path because I just didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> and right. so we started giving workshops in the fall of 2015. Our first workshop was in the diocese of Grand Island, Nebraska, Okay, it's not grand. It's not an island. They've got amazing people, though. About 60 people and priests came to the workshops there. Total, they had one seminarian, one lone seminarian, 50,000 Catholics. Just to give you some perspective there. I went back three years later, they had nine seminarians. And some of the same people wow. came to the first workshop and the second workshop, and they stood up and said, you told us to do X, Y, and Z. We did. We now have a seminarian and they're just keep going. And they're so excited. Stockton, California went from zero seminarians in 2019 to seven in 22 months, 22 months. Wow. Uh, they now have a house of uh, discernment, which they didn't have before. They have six men living in that. And six other discerners, they have pipelines now. So one of the things we do is we work with dioceses to create pipelines for men, for women to say yes. Mm -hmm. And what do they do when they're ready to say yes? And all, all of that. So we do, we've uh, Ogdensburg, New York went from three to 18 in three and a half years in mm -hmm. seminarians. So I know yeah. that they're all the numbers for men and the seminaries because it's so much harder to track the women going into religious life. But that gives an indication sure. to what they're doing for vocations. Well, and if you look at like the Dominican sisters in Ann Arbor, they have a waiting list. It's amazing. And a lot of that is just the contagion that is set up as people begin to see a vision for religious life as a part of their, their future. It's really exciting. 
it is exciting. And um, I, I think that, I think most people have no clue. Hey, they don't know what a vocation is, uh, that word. <laughs> uh, they don't, they see their priest is overworked. They, they see that the church is hurting. They've heard vocation crisis, maybe. They don't know what that means, but let me tell you, that is real. That is coming. Like 2025 is a big year for retire, retirees of our, of our clergy. Uh, the average age of a priest in the United States is 67 years of age. So it's real. It's coming. Um, and more parishioners are going to be feeling that because their parishes are going to be uh, merged with other parishes because we don't have enough priests. And what, what I was just saying earlier about I want every, pre, every school to have a priest as a chaplain, just think how much harder that is to accomplish when we, when our priests are overworked and have, they're in charge of three parishes. It just makes it harder for everybody. So I just don't think people may see those things that they don't know there's anything they can do about it. And teachers don't think about the fact that what they do in their classroom could affect that change and make a difference. They just don't even, that's my job is to bring awareness to the fact that what they do matters. That brings up an interesting question. Let's say that most of our viewers or listeners are educators or administrators, but let's say you're a teacher in a classroom and you're listening to this particular podcast and you go, that's what I've got to do. You're in a school where vocations are not a part of the conversation. Where do you begin? Well, I have laid it out for them. Um, uh, really by, because everything in the book and on the website is done by phases. So I say in phase one, these are the prayer activities that you should be doing. Tick them off as a school. I've got a different set of activities for school and in classroom. So I'm telling them what they should be doing there. If they're a teacher here, if they're a school overarching big events, the kind of things if I give them principles are the ones going to be you know, having that bigger vision for their school. And so phase one, I've got prayer activities, awareness and education. And the last, uh, the last type of activity is affirmation to affirm those who have said yes, like the married couples in their students world and, um, and priests who come we need to affirm them. So um, I've really taken a lot of the guesswork out of like I had in 2011, like, what do I do first? How do I do this? Because right. I have seen I've seen it happen where somebody gets all on fire for this and they, they go straight to the big, huge activity. And then they're burned out in three months time and they're like, oh no. And I don't that want that to happen in a classroom or a school or a religious ed program. So, so all they, everything's organized in that way. So I promise if they get the book or they go to the website, it will lead them in a gentle way on how to do this. I'm not going to overwhelm them. Rhonda, you now have evolved into uh, working with schools with your vocation ministry. And, and we're excited to have you obviously be a great partner with DIA and, and get plugged in at our annual summit. And, and we hope to bring this work to many of our schools. What's next on the horizon as you kind of pray about the further evolution of vocation ministry and your apostolate? What's next in your mind's eye? You know, the Holy Spirit has been my, my best friend and St. Alphonsus of the Glory, who's mm -hmm. he's got a first class relic behind me um, at all times. Um, he's patron saint of vocations. It is a, a prayer of mine to just to be led by the Holy Spirit, because I could never, ever imagine I'd be doing any of this 
that I'd be speaking, have a nonprofit education. What? I mean, I had no clue. Um, and now what we're seeing is it's a global issue. We're getting, I'm now working with the Diocese of Auckland, uh, New Zealand, Brisbane, Australia. I just gave a workshop to um, 45 vocation promoters for a large community of sisters in the Philippines on Sunday night. Two hours I spent with this community because they want to know how can they reinvigorate this and get more women to say yes. So who knew? I didn't know. And I just think that's where this probably this next part is going is that not only is it going to be um, more systematic in the fact that, okay, when vocation ministry comes into a diocese, we're working with priests, parishioners, educators at all levels, like we're doing more like comprehensive in a diocese versus just a one one time workshop thing. And um, we're also going international. That's super exciting, just kind of the global reach piece. And and we're seeing some of that same interest to Donna with, with DIA and, and just got our first international Catholic school uh, member this fall, which we had no hopes or ambitions for, but it's unbelievable how the spirit works, right? And and this school leader said, this is exactly what I've been waiting for, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you just don't, it's just beautiful to see the providence and the answer to prayer and, and our answer, our yes, right? And it bearing fruit. Just ahead of our, our episode today, I was on a, on a call with a, a good friend who's a Catholic school administrator, and they're beginning early stage feasibility exploration of their school potentially becoming co-ed. It's an all boys school. And I'd love to kind of fresh on my mind, Rhonda, get your thoughts on your single sex Catholic education uh, versus co-ed and vocations to religious life out of those two models. Wow. Um, Well, I think that if you've got single sex education, first of all, allows each party to fully find out what is. God asking them as a man or a young man or a young woman without the influence of of somebody always of that opposite sex looking at them in a different way. And they're and they're basically looking through their eyes at themselves, if that makes sense, like reflecting like who I am through somebody else's eyes, another sex eyes. And I I think that's the real thing is that they, that in a single sex education, you can find out who you are. And if you're being called to the priesthood, you have, first of all, fewer temptations around you to pull you out of that call. I We have millions of lost vocations walking around. Just, just FYI, so we're clear. God's called so many who have, that call was never nurtured and it just was gone. I'm not saying that they're worse people. It's just that, that, that this is how it happened and everybody has free will and I'm sure they had amazing lives, but they're being pulled. That's why I say, look, if a kid is certain at 10, 15, 16, still certain, look, go in after high school, go into the seminary for a couple of years and see if this is what God is calling them to do. Don't say to those educators, please don't say, oh, you better go live some life before you do that. Okay, look, you they go live life. 
then they many times lose the call that God's really put on their heart because then they're going to be around the opposite sex when the more temptation and, and then they go, maybe I should actually be married or, or not even married. And then they lose it all. I mean, that's what I would say that it's, it really is helpful if it's not co-ed in four vocations. Yeah. Are you aware, Ron, of any studies in the last decade or two that have correlated vocations to religious life from single-sex Catholic high schools versus co-ed? No, I have not seen anything. I mean, there's very little, just in the fact that I know that about 40 to 50% of the newly ordained went to Catholic schools okay. versus the regular Catholic population, only about, you know, uh, of people going to the Catholic schools, very low the number of newly ordained that went there is pretty high. So that means it means something to them. I know also that 30% of the newly ordained were encouraged by a teacher. Now a a teacher of theirs. And we would hope that that number, I know you, both of you would, uh, would agree with me. We would hope that number would be, you know, 99% (laughs) encouraged by a teacher, but teachers matter. Catholic schooling matters. That's why I, I want to strengthen it. Yep. I, I, I don't want to water it down. I want to, I want to actually do the opposite. I want to turn it on its head and say, we got to focus on this so much and strengthen the Catholic mm-hmm. identity so much that a kid, when they, even within six months, like first semester, mm-hmm. they're a better Catholic coming out. First semester, they're better mm-hmm. coming out of there than they were walking in. One of the things that... Uh- we don't talk a lot about, but I wonder if you've had any perspective on the world of religious brothers. We talk about young men going into the priesthood and, of course, women going into religious life. But what about the brotherhood? Yeah, and, and, and I try not to forget them in, the, my ta- in how I speak, but it, priesthood, religious life, sacramental marriage, they're in that religious life category, you know, so, um, but yes, there are brother, men still saying yes to being brothers. There are brothers who are in education and healthcare, but it is um, also very much a North, Northeastern place where they are for them. I mean, generalizing that, but I mean, in Texas, we really just don't have brothers is where I'm coming from. But there is still that opportunity. We have Religious Brothers Day, which is May 1st each year. So that's that's one of the ways that a school or classroom, a teacher can bring about a this culture is by implementing the vocation calendar into their own calendar. Mm-hmm. If May 1st every year is Religious Brothers Day and we're putting up, for example, on the bulletin boards in the hallway about religious brothers or maybe a young man who has said yes to being a religious brother from their school up on the bulletin board. They're talking about in their classroom. What does it mean to be a brother um, versus a priest? What's the difference? And of course, that looks different depending on the age. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would. I love the idea of a calendar too. the regularity of going through vocations in the school. I know at St. Michael, that's one of the things every year we have vocation day, which includes priest, religious life and marrieds, and especially young marrieds that are teachers at the school. 
talking about their their vocation of marriage, which is really cool. Sure. If somebody wants that calendar, just FYI, that to know what to do and when to do it, go to vocationministry.com under phase one. The first section is all about the calendar and the days we promote vocations. Rhonda, another piece that, you know, we've been intentional at our school of, of fostering, and, and I'd like to see this brought to more schools and dioceses, our school families inviting our chaplains or our area priest over for dinner. Yes. I mean, this when you think about a generation or two, I mean, my parents growing up, they had their pastor over at least once a month for dinner. I mean, that's something my grandparents did. It was just normalized. And I think the more we can invite clergy and religious women into our own homes and that sacred space and allow them to be themselves with young people, I think that will sow seeds. And I'd like to see that encouraged. We were just working with a chaplain of one of our schools out in the Midwest who's stepping in new to his role. He's like, what should I do? I said, put a sign up outside your door and have your communications send out an email, say, host father for dinner sign up here. And it was a great way for our priests to get to know families on their level. Amen. That is absolutely in the book as um, in the introductory, uh, introductory chapters of saying, you know, you've got to get to know your priest and affirm him. That's a way of not only yes. awareness and education, but it's affirmation. I'm sure that there's going to be some prayer thrown in there. If the priest comes over for dinner, you know, you're getting yeah. all of it together at one place. So a house, I, a house I, blessing. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. it's all about that goes for the territory for priests. We always give house blessings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I our... it's about encounter. It's an yep. encounter with Jesus Christ and in, 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 at the mass and the blessed sacrament. Right. And it's encounter with those who said yes, joyful encounters with those who are authentically living out as a witness to of Christ in the world and whatever vocation they've been called. Those two encounters are gonna speak more than any other activity you could possibly do or say in the book, you know, or I could say or talk about. It's just, it. nothing replaces those two. Yep. Well, I have to say from a personal experience, that is exactly what planted the seed for my own vocation. Even as an, an Episcopalian Anglican, we had our assistant pastor over for dinner. And I'll never forget, we were having a dessert around TV trays. And he had been a geologist and he told us the story of his call to priesthood as an Anglican priest. And at that moment, there was something in me that ignited. I was drawn to his vocation and drawn to his story. And in doing so, I, I think there was a way in which I was also drawn to the Lord in a much more dramatic way. So that was kind of the seed that was planted. And that was like fourth or fifth grade. Yep. That's why I classroom visits by all those people who've said yes is huge. Um, we've got to do it. And if it can't be in person, then goodness gracious, we know how to use technology now, don't we? So let's get it happening um, virtually. We need to. And I know that there are sisters out there who will do that, brothers who would do that um, and priests who would do it. So let's let's get these kids to see what a yes looks like and somebody who loves their life you know because i think that i think the majority do love their life i mean normally priests have one of the highest ratings of the fact that they love their life and and there's a reason for that and so i i, I and be a blessing to your priests 
And those sisters who are, who are serving at, at your school, um, pray for them and affirm them mm-hmm. in their yes. Well, Rhonda, one of the things that we talked about before we got going with our program today is we were going to close with a prayer for vocations. This is really, this has been such a, a rich, rich time. And I think that we have got to have you back to keep going on a few things. We need to deep dive into a couple of these areas a little bit more, I think, particularly in looking at some of the best practices for the classroom. So that's something I hope that we can work out in the very near future to do that. So as we close today, would, would you lead us in a prayer for vocations? Sure, absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, Lord Jesus, we ask you with confidence for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your church. By the intercession of Immaculate Mary, let there be a rich harvest of vocations. Let men be enlightened and strengthened to follow your call to serve as priests and brothers. Let seminaries overflow and bless their formators and teachers with the wisdom not of this world. Let your daughters feel an irresistible pull to a life of contemplation and service as sisters and nuns. Let there be a new flowering of religious orders which seek the path of holiness. Let men and women you call to marriage see the importance of this vocation and like Tobias, seek their spouses for a noble purpose. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Alphonsus Liguori, pray Pray for for us. us. Pray for us. Is that prayer available on on vocationministry.com? So that is our new prayer for our um, Immaculate Heart Vocation Prayer Society. So somebody can go to vocationministry.com and find out about that and join us and they can download the prayer. Okay, wonderful. Kyle, is there anything else that that we need to cover before we close this episode? Uh, This has been wonderful, Rhonda, and it's been a true delight getting to know your work and your beautiful ministry. We're excited to see it come alive in in more and more of our Catholic schools. Me too. Amen. Amen. Let's make that happen, Holy Spirit. Come on. Yeah. Well, hey, we want to thank our guest, Rhonda Grunewald, for being with us today for this absolutely uh, inspirational, energizing episode. And if you haven't done it already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a comment to encourage us on future programming. And we do want to thank our production interns, Alex Shire and Hunter Ruiz, along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Alsbach, for producing this podcast. And may Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.